episode 68. I'm Jessica Duffin and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. This episode is sponsored by my friends at BU. BU patches are naturally made patches that, like a plaster, stick onto your abdomen or lower back and deliver soothing relief to painful cramps with natural essential oils. As you might have guessed from all the reviews I've shared, BU period patches are proven to be hugely popular in the endo community and as a result, the BU team have been getting great feedback about how they best work for the community. The patches are most commonly used in the morning before work or school and in the evenings before bed so that people with endo or painful periods can be prepared for the day ahead or get a better night's sleep uninterrupted by pain. If you're anything like me and your periods come at night, these patches might make all the difference and they, they certainly do for me. They help me sleep through whereas before I'd wake up in pain. They come in a pack of five, so they should last for the majority of your period, and you can subscribe to get them every month. They're $6.99 for a pack, or $4.99 if you go for a subscription. To shop, just head to the link in my show notes and start soothing period cramps the natural way. This episode is also sponsored by my free guide, Managing Endometriosis Naturally. This guide is perfect for anyone just starting out on this journey of managing and reducing their symptoms. This 16-page guide takes you through the natural treatment options and holistic lifestyle changes that I made to begin reducing my symptoms. If you're feeling overwhelmed by which type of complementary therapy to choose from or you're a bit confused by the endometriosis diet, this guide could really help you to get a good overview and allow you to begin taking steps to feeling better. As always, this guide doesn't replace your medical treatment and it's not intended to treat or cure endometriosis but it does provide you with options that helped me to live well with endometriosis so you can begin experimenting or finding out what works for you. To download just head to the show notes and follow the link and you can get your free copy. So a couple of announcements. Um, I am working on a mini free Christmas cookbook um, and that will be kind of the free gift that goes with my book, um, The Send of Life, It Starts With Breakfast, when you buy that. So that should be out this week. So if you are looking for some Christmas recipes just to make Christmas a little bit easier on your endo symptoms, then um, hopefully this will help you. There is a pecan and chestnut stuffing recipe Um plant-based gluten-free pigs in blanket recipe um crumble custard the custard is so good I don't know if anyone remembers or I don't know why I say remembers like they don't do it anymore because they do but I just don't eat it anymore but the Marks and Spencer's really creamy vanilla-y custard um so it's kind of my version of that made sugar-free and endo-friendly, dairy-free. Um, and what's the other recipe? Oh, salted caramel cheesecake. So um, if any of those sound appealing to you, then that freebie um, will be, yeah, you'll, you'll get that freebie when you buy the book. Um, you just need to email the address that I have given you in the book, and then I will send it straight to you. 
The other thing I wanted to mention is that, as you guys might know already, um, in January, I'm launching Owning Your Endo Life coaching program. It's a one-to-one coaching program, 12 weeks long, and um, I have six spaces. Yes, six spaces left. Um and I am taking consultations all week. So if you want to have a free call with me, um, to tell me what's going on with you and what you'd like to support with. And we can kind of discuss whether this program is the right program for you and if I'm the right coach for you. And um, I can tell you all about the program and what that entails. And if you want to find out a bit more about the program, you can go to my website. I've now got that up on my yeah on my website. So the link will be in my bio for that, not in my bio. I said this last week. I'm sure I did. I'm just so used to saying link in my bio for Instagram. Um, anyway, the link is in the show notes. Um, so you can find out more about that. Um, but if you're interested in kind of knowing more, um, we will look at nutrition, hormones, gut health, energy production, pain management and reduction, inflammation, detoxification pathways, sleep and rest, movement and stress management. So it's completely tailored around you and your needs, but the kind of, um, breadth of the program kind of spans all of these areas because you need to look at kind of optimizing all of your different functions in your body for your body to be able to cope with living with endometriosis and to really get to the root cause and reduce those symptoms. Um, so yes, if you are interested, the link to kind of have a read of it is in the show notes, not the bio. And, um, or you can just email me on hello at this and book in for a consultation this week. Um, and yeah, and we can find out whether this is the right thing for you. And if it's not the right thing for you, then I can make referrals, um, provide you with some resources. So don't worry if you're like a bit unsure, you won't be, you know, wasting my time and I certainly won't waste your time. Um, I'll send you, you know, kind of some things that I think can help you get started. Um, so yeah, that's that. So I'm really excited about today's episode because, um, Michelle is actually, um, well, she was my kind of money mentor for a week, a week, no, four weeks. I did have four week, um, kind of money management course. Um, and she is just wonderful. So I know this seems like an odd subject for, endometriosis but endo affects every area of a person's life um you know and those that includes finances too in fact my friend Vicky Williams who's been on the podcast before she's actually doing a PhD in um endometriosis in the workplace and she recently shared these stats with the UK government when they were doing a um debate on endo and work and these are the stats so this study included 7,000 women across 52 countries and only for 40% have given up or lost jobs due to endo and others have gone part-time or self-employed. Women with endo lose 10.8 hours a week due to pain and women with endo lose 5,750 pounds a year due to time or sick. Um, So clearly those stats are just unacceptable but also really shocking we can't change it straight away so it's about understanding ways to kind of minimize that impact and do what we can to make you know the quality our quality of life better and that includes the 
includes finances as well. It's bad enough that someone's well-being is affected by endo and, you know, that their social life is too, let alone the worry of having to take time off and potentially lose money due to being unwell. But I often think about like those of us who need to take a break from working and just can't afford it. Like they don't just need two weeks off, like they need a break. They need like six months um, or those of us who like lose our jobs because their employees don't understand endo Um you know, I didn't lose my job, but I was sort of forced out. Um, and I wasn't in the financial position for that to have happened to me. I made it work, thank God. But, um, you know, I think it's really important that we look at the financial implications of endo. It's it's no secret to you guys that I took a £10,000 £10, pay cut um, to make my life work with endo and to make it manageable. But even though that came with huge benefits and I will never, I I don't regret making all of those moves. Um, it came with a lot of financial stress. I had to use credit cards to pay for things and I was constantly worrying about money. Um, and I didn't have the energy or the health to take months or years to build that financial security. So I just had to get on with it and make it work. But I really don't want that to happen to you guys. So that's why I wanted to get Michelle on the show. Michelle Manuel is um, a banker turned women's finance coach and she's the founder of Her Wealth IQ. So she provides courses and workshops and one-on-one sessions for people who want to get on top of their money and really understand how it works. And she's been through extreme financial difficulties as well as a lot of financial security so she really knows the different experiences people can have around money and she really knows how to manage money as well. In this episode we're talking about how to manage your money and how to take on those particular challenges that come with endo. We chat about handling priorities on a tight budget, how to save to cover sick pay and losses and earnings, and how to plan for the future when you have endo. Um, I kind of want to say, just because I think I get quite vulnerable in this episode, that I want you to... I'm only ever vulnerable because I think that I have been through quite a lot of extreme situations in my life. Um, you know, I've been through an abusive relationship. I've been through a car accident. I had a very difficult upbringing. Um, and you know, even my work situation, having to leave that, um, there are many more extreme situations. Absolutely. But I think that because I have gone through quite variable situations I have and also because I've worked with people who are really vulnerable and who haven't had access to money and resources I feel like I have seen quite a lot of different situations in life and as a result I consider kind of all of the different circumstances that people may go through with endometriosis and um, definitely you know, the more extreme ones where people might be really struggling financially or have no one in their life, have no one to pick them up from surgery, no one to care for them. Um, Or maybe they have other like difficulties, like they have learning difficulties, they have autism, they don't quite understand what's happening. Um, You know, all of these different things. And so I really think that it's important to talk about the 
the extremes and the variables that can happen in people's lives. So, um, and I'm not saying that I'm at the most extreme, you know, end of the spectrum at all, but um, I have faced a lot of difficulties with endo in my life, especially around money. So I am quite vulnerable in this episode around that. And it's not to be like, where is me, blah, 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 or I don't know. I just want you guys to know it's, it's not about attention or sympathy. It's about wanting to firstly if you're in the same boat to let you know you're not alone and to let you know that it's possible to experience something else and secondly I guess just to create awareness and also bring out the best from my guests I think sometimes I hear podcast interviews where people um ask a question and it's a bit of a middle of the road question and I'm like yeah but what about these people or what about the people like that and I find that I ask those questions a lot because I have endo and so endo throws up a lot of challenges that people don't normally have and as a result we don't always get the answers that we need because people aren't asking the right questions. So okay I've got to my point. I am being vulnerable in this episode so that I can ask the right questions so that you guys can get the right answers. Boom there it is. I knew I was trying to be like okay I'm going off on a tangent How do I bring this back around to explain why I did this? But anyway, I hope it's a helpful episode. I think that this could be useful for anyone who struggles with money or wants to just get more educated around money. Michelle gives so many good tips and also Christmas is coming up and this is like one of, if not the most expensive time of year. So hopefully it will help you feel a bit more in control, whether, you know, endo affects your finances or not. So um, yeah, I think I've blabbed enough (laughs) so I'm gonna let you guys listen to Michelle and I hope you enjoy. Michelle I wanted to have you on the show because um I mean you know I'm very I'm a real open book so you and I have worked together um and it was such a long time coming um as like a lot of people with endometriosis know that like it's endometriosis doesn't just affect your health it affects every area of your life your relationship, your work, your finances, so many different areas are affected. Um, So, you know, we work together to help me, I guess, unravel the the web that had been woven um, in the past couple of years as I navigated life with endometriosis and changed my job and my career and stuff. Um, And it was so eye-opening to me and so empowering that I just had to have you on because I know that other people are in a similar situation. If I if I've been struggling, then other people are as well. Um, so I was wondering if you could first start with kind of who you are and you know what you do at Her Wealth IQ and your story, um, and then I'd kind of love to dive into some of the issues that you've seen um, or noticed that women face when it comes to living with finances and. Um, I wonder if you've noticed, I mean, I I imagine that I'm probably the only client you've ever had who has endo, but if you noticed any, anything kind of unique about the challenges that I had in contrast to those of the, you know, the female clients that you've worked with or the, or the challenges that you've seen that affect women specifically with finances. Well, thanks, Jessica. Thanks for having me on as a starting point. It was great having you as a client. And a little bit about me and my journey in, in establishing Her Wealth IQ. 
my whole background is financial services. I started off by becoming a chartered accountant and then I went into investment banking. But throughout that whole period, I did not manage my own money very well. I, in fact, my money was a mess. Literally what came in got spent and went out the other side. And eventually um, I had a major life circumstance and I, I realized I needed to take control of my money. And starting to do that, I started encountering other women who had the same experiences where they just couldn't manage their money. And kind of getting myself in order and realizing I was dealing with a lot of negative money mindsets and just having to change the way of thinking. And it all boils down to the bottom line is it's not how much money you're making. It's just literally, it literally boils down to what you do with it. And, you know, and that's the key as, as little or as much as you start with. If you don't manage it properly, you end up you know, in the same point. So that's where I started her wealth IQ. And it's really, I'm a financial coach, a mentor and a financial educator with the whole objective of empowering women financially through financial education. Because as you said, um, there's nothing more freeing than being confident and in power, you know, taking back that power of, of managing money. Absolutely. Looking at sort of what you were saying about things I've noticed about clients or, or people that I encountered, you know, it really boils down to the money mindset being the real driver behind it. Okay, 80%, that's so interesting. And really is. I mean, there's studies that show 80% of what we do with money is emotional and 20% is only taking the right action. <gasps> um, <laughs> that is literally it. And when you realize and unravel that. I mean, we all kind of know to build wealth, save more, spend less. It doesn't mean we do that. Mm. Um and, it, you know, for women particularly, there are really a number of things that we carry around with us. And the first is we have an inherited legacy. Women were historically not the breadwinners. We were, our power was taken away from us because somebody else always managed the money. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of, I think it was only in the 1970s that women could actually open, get a you know, credit without having a husband or male sponsor her. Mm, the stories are insane. Like, there's a book I want to read. I don't know if you've read it. Um, Smart Women Finish Rich. Have you yes, read it? Yes, yeah. David Beck. I was listening to his story and how he, his dad was a financial advisor and he watched his dad in the office and how women would come in and say, my husband died. And he said, you would help me because you were managing the money with my husband. And he was like, it was so lucky that my dad was a good man because he could have just whittled these women, these widows out of, their you know their life savings and, and they would have had no idea so yeah sorry it's just yeah. the stories are just shocking but um I yeah I had to quickly jump in and share that but anyway sorry please carry on well that's it I mean that's shocking that, that's literally one of the stories I think he was his granny was quite empowering and mm. he learned from his oh granny oh my gosh yes <laughs> but um I mean that, that is the legacy we cut forward and so we come up with this non-deservability we don't think we deserve money um, because we've always had to work really hard. I mean, we were given what the Asmiel thought we deserved. That, that's one of the things we carry around, and it's really like this inherited baggage. Then secondly, we have really limiting money beliefs. I mean, I don't know, you know, I've often heard people say, I'm never going to get out of debt. Um, I can't afford that on my income. I mean, I've said that many times. Uh, you know, 
I'm so bad with numbers, these kind of things. And they are so limiting. I mean, I think there's a psychologist in the US, Carol Dweck, who calls this sort of a fixed mindset. And once you're in a fixed mindset, you can't be creative and grow. So you need to get into that growth mindset where you start being changing the questions to, you know, I'm going to start saving. I'm going to learn how to get good with money. Those kind of things, you know, that, that kind of building you up because the negative language all translates into how we behave. Um, and that's really the third thing. We, we really have a lot of negative self-talk. We have the limiting self-beliefs and then we have the negative self-talk, which kind of supports that. And, you know, it puts out there the things you start believing because as soon as you're saying them, it's thoughts in your head. And as much as you think things, you start believing, start acting, and that becomes your reality. Um, and the third thing is typically we, we don't know what our goals are. We don't know what we want to achieve. You know, we haven't thought literally and sat down and thought, how do I want my life to look? What do I want my money to do? You know, we all have a sense of what everyone else is telling us. You need to have a certain amount of money and that will make you happy. But will it? What is our what is our number? What is our life? What do, you know, that, that kind of what do we say? What is our money doing for us? And I think unless you have that guiding light, it just becomes a concept. It, it's you know, it's money. You don't know. You're not driven to do the things that will get you to where you want to go. Mm, I think that applies to everything in life, you know. Absolutely. I, there's In my coaching course, um, women's health coaching course, there's a really powerful question. And um, I'm giving it away early because I wanted to do a <laughs> whole episode around this. But you guys are going to get, a, a, I don't know, a sneak peek now, which is if you don't change anything, if it stays the same in terms of your health, what will your health look like in 10 years? And when my course leader said that, I was like, mic drop, just just walk off the stage yeah. now. Like, because I was thinking about, you know, for example, um, I have painful bladder syndrome and I've just kind of been dealing with it and being like, I know my triggers, sometimes they're bad, but it was getting worse, like progressively getting worse. And when she said that, I thought, if I it's getting worse. Like, I think I've kind of got it under control. But if I don't do anything else, if I just stay as I am with this and I don't take any action, this is going to deteriorate. I'm going to have so much pain. In like, what, how, what's my bladder function going to be like in 10 years' time? It was so, it was such a, yeah. And I think you can apply that to everything. If I don't do anything with my finances right now, what is my financial situation going to be like in 10 years' time? And that's absolutely the point, the, the question that you know, we need to ask ourselves is exactly you've had the whole incentive to take action on your health you know, and, and start putting the right steps and controls in to try and you know, mitigate that. And it's exactly the same with finance. I think it's exactly the same with, as you said, anything in life. Unless you make a conscious effort to think ahead of what your actions are causing now, you know, you're going to live that reality in, in 10 years' time that that's the you know the whole point of just understanding where you're going and, and what happens if you don't take the right actions and then probably a really big one for me is um letting us be, you know, drive the emotions that drive us and oftentimes the emotions are shame around money or fear or even jealousy for other people with more money we get so into the negativity of um the not having and, and the having done the wrong things it totally takes away our ability to focus on how we move forward from here because you get stuck in that 
say a forest of negativity and it's just self-perpetuating and that's a big one that women women face i think particularly the fear and the shame and that boils down to the very last one which is forgiving ourselves for our many actions i mean none of us were born able to walk or talk you know and quite similarly we weren't able to manage finances and it's a matter of learning it's a matter of taking the baby steps and of course it's going to involve some falling down some errors but it's you know what you learn from and how you move forward i mean i'm one who sticks my hand up i made many money mistakes but i've learned a lot from that i've learned you know the things that i won't do again um so it's kind of i could i could blame myself and, and point fingers but at this point, I've decided to take a larger, bigger, sort of, you know, more growth mindset view and say, well, what did I learn? What what can I take away from that and do better? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and that's really the positive empowerment about it. I think your last question was really how I noticed that, you know, people with endometriosis, and, and you're right, you were my only client. <laughs> so you're probably not a good example because, in fact, you were a client who was like, I'm doing this financially, I'm doing that, and I'm, I want to do this. It's like, okay, she's pretty organized. So, um, I, I but don't I think... feel it. But I mean, I guess, you know, <laughs> you at the same time, I did tell you about my, like, my history in terms of, you know, having to change jobs and go from full-time to part-time to self-employed, taking massive cuts, and then being in a situation where, because I took such a big cut, but I was so desperate to leave, I like used a credit card to literally like pay for my food shopping because I'd just taken such a massive cut and um yeah and obviously like w- when I did have a full-time job that was in charity and it wasn't a huge amount of money and I had that mindset of like well I can't do anything yet to kind of get financially secure because I'm on I'm not on enough money and so when I get more money then I'll stop planning but of course that didn't happen instead (laughs) instead I you know left and took a pay cut so even though I'm now much more organized it's definitely due to the mistakes that have been made not necessarily mistakes but the learning curves yeah I wouldn't say the mistakes because yeah I I didn't know what I didn't know and I think also I mean that's exactly why you have to take them away as many mistakes because you've now learned what to do with your money rather than what not to do. I mean, I think by the time I spoke to you, you were very organized. You know, you've done, you need a budget, you're, you're doing all these steps, but that doesn't happen on day one. And and I think that's what people just have to realize. This is all a, a process of learning. And as long as we're moving, moving forward and taking those actions, and you know, sometimes you will get stuck, as you said, in the, you know, I'm in a position that I can't do anything. I have to wait till this gets better until I have more money. That does happen. But it's a matter of trying to change your mindset there and start working on how can you start thinking of getting out of this situation? What are the actions you can take? And I think, you know, dealing with endometriosis, to some extent, it gives you an advantage in terms of mindset because you've had to put checks and balances and make plans around your health. So you know you're dealing with a scarce resource, being your time, feeling healthy. And you've had to manage that. And it's exactly the same with money. It's a scarce resource. You understand it and you have to just figure out a way to manage around it. Exactly the same. And you start from where you're at. I'm sure with endometriosis, you had a point in time where you didn't have those many you know, healthy hours where you felt like you could do something. You've had to work around and create that. And it's exactly the same with money. 
you can equate your health and your your ability to build wealth so closely together because it's all about how you manage a scarce resource and you do it with what you have and that's that's the thing about money it, you've you've got to start from where you're at and realize your number one is maybe not somebody else's number one and so you're on your own path and you you build your reality around that and i think that's the important key is the takeaways here is what what have i learned in my wider life that i can apply to to the money situation i've learned that i'm not always going to be able to have what i want so i'm not always going to be able to make it i i need to manage around that so move it like on that note because i'm you know there are people with endometriosis who have great jobs um who are struggling at work but they have held it together and they're earning a lot of money or you know they have got a they didn't struggle in the beginning they went into a really high paying job um and they've always been confident in money or maybe they've come from money so they might feel some insecurity around how stable their job is in terms of like are they going to get fired because their manager doesn't like the fact that they take time off every month for endo but they've already built that wealth but for someone who is on a limited income due to endometriosis like perhaps they're part-time working or they're not working um maybe they you know their kind of career development was cut short so they never kind of got to the target that they had hoped to at this time in life that's not to say that they won't get to that target at all but yeah like if they were struggling to manage their finances because they were on a limited income how can they create a budget and a a financial plan that works for them because I there's kind of two sides to this in my mind that now I'm on like the smallest income that I've ever been on I feel more in control of my money than I ever have um it's been more challenging recently writing this book because I've spent quite a lot of money on the book um so that has felt difficult to control but other than that I feel more in control um and I feel like my money has been I've been able to stretch my money much further than I thought I could but then on the flip side of that there are things that I simply cannot do right now I can't afford to go on holiday like that's just like I can't there's no no matter unless I literally just want to like I guess if you prior it depends what your priorities are if if I wanted to literally like not do I don't know that wouldn't even work never travel up to London I mean you know my kind of budget so I give myself a, a small travel budget to go up for work like twice a twice a month to London if I cut that off and I save that money for maybe like I don't know a year then I could go but like do you see what I mean there are some things that you would have to make dramatic sacrifices or you have squeezed your budget as far as it can go and you cannot like unless you're not going to eat or pay your bills you can't do certain things so there's that kind of where's that sweet spot between um managing your budget and financially planning really well um and also like not kind of putting limitations on yourself but equally I don't know like not beating yourself up for not being able to afford a certain something because there are 
there are kind of people out there like um I don't I'm trying to think like someone like Tony Robbins or something who will say like you know or Marie Folio for example has currently got a book out saying everything is figure outable cool yeah it could be like I could literally like you know stop taking supplements that I use to manage my endometriosis and stop going into London twice a month and you know those kind of things to go on holiday but then that would mean that my life suffers in other ways so it's figure out figure outable to a degree so that can kind of leave like a level of guilt with that person who's like oh well I haven't managed to figure out how to afford that thing but so-and-so is doing it so I was just wondering does that make sense I just feel like there's these two yeah well I think I think you mentioned the key. It's your budget has to work for you. That that's the bottom line. I mean, as I say, everybody's on their own path. You can't compare to who you are. You have to plan your budget for you. And I, I like I, the word budget. I just don't like that word. I mean, I would call it conscious spending plan. You Ooh, know, you okay. consciously. <laughs> so you consciously decide where your money is going to go, and, and you've made a conscious decision. You you want to manage your health. That's number one priority, and you want your trips to London. That's number two. So right now, that's where your focus is going to be. And I think there's a podcast, a US podcaster, she's a financial podcaster, she's got a, a very good tagline. It's afford anything. So you can afford anything, but not everything. So you have to decide what you value on any particular point. And th- those are the things that you want to stick to. And I do understand, you know, we all have aspirations, like, for example, the travel. And that's good to have. And it's something that you're going to put down in your goals and save for. But today, what is of absolute necessity, and I mean, number one necessity is obviously you have to eat and you have to have shelter. So once that's covered, what is number two? Have to have some sense of um, what is going to add value to your life right now. You know, what is hugely valuable to you? That's not necessarily, doesn't fall under the, the um, you know, the food or shelter, but it's something that you really need for your soul. And for you, it's, you know, I'm understanding it. It's being healthy. It's taking the supplements and keeping your health. It, it, that's important to you right now. So that's where you're going to make sure you, in your budget, you create that. And I mean, I totally understand, you know, people have such limiting, in certain circumstances, incomes or money available to them that it becomes even less about, you know, even having that thing that gives them the value because that literally their thing is, I need to get the food and I need to get a roof over my head. Yeah. Um, and, and that is a consideration, but it's to, to think if you're able to achieve that and that sense of gratitude, I've, I've created food, uh, you know, I'm feeding myself and creation and I'm building a plan to get to the next stage that I'm able to provide something of value. It, it's just having that growth mindset. And, and I think Marie Folio, she, she also, I went, actually went to a talk in London. And oh, my friend went it, to that literally <laughs> the other day. So good. Yeah. yeah. I heard it was really good. And I, I don't, I'm not, I'm using that as an example. I'm not arguing with her, but I do think that as someone living with a condition, and you know my mindset, like I'm very, um, I'm very... Growth mindset. Yeah, I'm a real growth, yeah, yeah, I've got a growth mindset. But at the same time, I do hear these um, leaders that I look to say things that I'm like, I don't, I don't think what you're saying is, is reaching everyone in a sense of like I don't think you've considered the person who you know 
is severely disabled or loads of different things. I I don't think they're impossible, the things that they say at all, but I always find myself having to tweak them in order for them to be applicable to the kind of lifestyle that I lead with having, you know, endometriosis and chronic pelvic pain and anxiety and depression and, you know, all the things. Yeah. Um but I, but I, I think she's brilliant. I listen to her podcast. Like I think she's great. I'd love to do her course one day. Uh, I think she's great. But I mean, that's what I'm thinking. I have to take the same. You've got to take that everything figurative or is figurative and just apply it to how can I apply this to my life in in a measure that makes sense to me. I think she told that one story in her book where um, somebody, I think it was a lady in New Zealand. I'm probably just paraphrasing the story incorrectly. But she had written in and saying, you know, she'd been following Marie Folio, everything seemed figureoutable until her mother got cancer. Yeah, yeah. And her mother lived, you know, in the rural areas and she just like, nothing is figureoutable. And then um, she said she thought about it and she came to the realization that all her mother wanted to, to be was comfortable in where she lived. And that was what was going to have to be figureoutable, how to make that achievable. And it wasn't necessarily how she thought everything is figureoutable should turn out, but it all turned out the way it was meant to. And that's what I think you you need to apply to your circumstance. I, I agree. You know, coming from somebody who, who's clearly had much success and has has money and has health and all that, it's difficult to take on board because it's coming. It's a, the delivery from who has been delivered. And I think there's so many people who, um, I mean, you're a person, you, you, you obviously have huge challenges with your endometriosis and look what you've done with your life and what you've built. You're, you're creating, you know, this, this amazing life of things that you want to do. So it's been a challenge and probably still a challenge, but it's been figureoutable for you every single second that you've moved that one step forward. I'm thinking. Yeah, I definitely have always, I've always figured it out. That, yeah, that's for sure. Um, yeah, so, I, I, you know, it's, it's difficult to say if you're in the circumstance, it's hard to judge somebody else when it's really, do, you know, when they, they, they're they in that suffering state, um, you know, and, and to, to judge them for not believing everything is figurative. But I guess it's trying to find in your own mind what is, what small thing can I believe today that I've achieved that is figurative. And maybe that particular day, you know, maybe just, feeling a little bit healthier or being able to you know, drink a glass of water or something. I mean, but that, that, I think that's what we need to, it's, it's got to apply to the circumstance and, and it's difficult unless you're in somebody else's shoes. But I always think, you know, depending on how you think of it, there's always something we can find in a day that we've managed to do, um, you know, something positive that we've managed to achieve, no matter how small. Yeah. That is, you had to figure out how to do it. I mean, no matter how small. I mean, sometimes I'm trying to practice gratitude and at night you try and come up with something new and it, sometimes it's the tiniest little thing, but somehow you figure out some tiny little, you know, and that's exactly, I mean, the money thing is a real game that way because you've, you've, you've literally got to figure out a scarce resource and how you're going to do something with it. Um, you know, and, and sometimes it doesn't feel figure, feel totally figureoutable, but if you start doing the positive actions, it, it kind of starts coming together. I think there's another book I really like. I don't know if you've read him. It's um, James Clear, Atomic Habits. Oh, my God, I love that <laughs> book. It's brilliant. And I've actually raved about it on my Instagram. So um, some people might have heard me talking about it. I just I think it's so positive because it's, it's he's saying, look, you, you're not going to make a major change. Like 
it's difficult to change things. So it's taking a tiny little minuscule action step you know, at a time. And I really love his attitude because it's exactly that. You know, we all think we have to do these big, major, life-changing things and, and everything becomes good and, and we're able to change these major habits, but it doesn't work like that. And it's with money as well. It's this small little step that you start taking that ultimately start building that snowball effects and everything starts coming together. Yeah, yeah. But it's the, the daily slog of it that, you know, what, what do they call it when you're in the thick of things? You know, when you're at the top of the one hill, you can look across and see yeah. the top of the other hill. But as soon as you get down into the valley. Where... Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> wow, that's where I am with my book right now. I am in the valley. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah. no you're getting to the other side but it's like I know it doesn't feel like it when you're amongst yeah. all the trees and the you know you can't see where the other side is mm-hmm. yeah for and, sure and that is literally sometimes when you're starting and it's just a matter of of how you start I mean really whether you're in employment and you're worried about potentially losing your job or you you're trying to create that security I think the first step is and I said this to you as well is creating that emergency fund, your your safety blanket or your cushion, because it just gives you that flexibility that you know you have that behind you, that, you know, what life throws at you, you have something to fall back on. And I think even knowing that you're starting to do that, um, you know, kind of incentivizes you to take that little bit more action because you're starting to do the right thing. And that, it doesn't matter where you start with that, how small, if you're able to, you know, stick one pound a week in your your little thing in your little box and say, "I'm doing it this week," I'm going to try and increase to two pounds in you know two months or something. It's it's as long as you're taking an action and you're doing something positive, it all snowballs. It's it's creating those habits. So can we unpack that idea a bit for people who haven't heard of that? So um, did you remind me what you call it? Did you say it was a security blanket? The security thing is your safety cushion, I guess. It's, okay. you, know, you, you know, and it gives you the ability to take more risks. So what you, ideally what they say is you should have an emergency fund of three to six months uh, worth of income that can cover your necessities. And by necessity, that's going to be your food, your roof over your head, and to a certain extent, something that you really value. Because I think you know, every single day that we're alive, we want to at least have something that we believe is important to us at that point and, and you know else what's the point in living if you don't have that so it, it that is a necessity it's a, a mental and health necessity that, that we put in there that is part of our necessities and make sure you cover that for three to six months I mean for some people who want to add a security they'll go out to 12 months but the, the thing about that is you end up sitting with a, a huge amount of money in your savings account and, and as we know savings accounts especially now in a low interest rate environment don't earn a high return yeah and and they're going to be less than inflation which is a two percent and so literally it's your money kind of losing value so you don't want to necessarily you know necessarily sit with a, a big amount in an emergency fund but you want enough that you can feel i've got enough time to um you know work my way through this or or find something else to to supplement it it just gives you that flexibility and and that that's the starting point of of creating that stability so what if, because the only reason that I now have a security blanket, as you know, is because, um, you know, my my mum sold her house in London and bought a house by the sea. And because the property value, the property prices are so much cheaper by the sea, she was um, 
thankfully able to buy a house outright, which is amazing because my parents have struggled all of their lives financially. So um, as a result, she had like money left over and gave me some. And as you know, I was able to use it as my security blanket, um, which I haven't touched. You'll be pleased to hear. Um, (laughs) But that's the only way that I've been able to do that. So if someone was, so say if you, if we went back in time to when I went part-time and I had to use a credit card to pay some of my, my like outgoings, like my food shopping, that, I mean, how could I, and I was also really desperate to get out of that situation as well, because that job was super anxiety triggering and it wasn't helping. I, you know, I, I kind of just even though it was the right thing for me to do to transition out of these jobs into self-employment, the path that I took to get there was really challenging. You know, I went from one charity job that was full-time and really stressful. I went to another one that I thought would be the better option, which was part-time, but that was super anxiety triggering. And I, I, you know, it was making me sick. I had to leave. So at that point, I wasn't able to build a security bank here. And even if I thought, okay, I, I hate this job, but I need to, I didn't hate the job. It was just making me very ill. But if, if I was a person who was like, I hate this job, it's not my manager. My manager doesn't, you know, believe I'm in as much pain as I am, for example. And, but I'm living off my credit card because it's not paying enough. How could that person kind of ever build a security blanket? for to get out of that job does that make sense like what would in a situation like that because I read I you know I read things like um girl boss for example online and they're like you need a security blanket three to six months I'm like but what about the person who is literally just earning enough to get by how would they ever be able to get the security blanket to move into another job or to or to make the jump or whatever they need to do like it could it could take them years, like years and years. Like, what would you in in a situation like that? What's kind of the, I don't know. What do you suggest? Yeah, I think, and then this boils down to anybody. I think when we get caught in those situations, it tends to narrow your focus down to you know where you are and dealing with that every day, and it takes away your sense of creativity and your ability to think outside the you know the box. If I, I think what I would suggest to anyone who was caught in in that circumstance it would really be to go and talk to other people I mean there's a lot of support groups and just get sounding boards as to how you get out there and and find something different you know it's when you're stuck in that mindset and you you, you're literally talking to other people I guess in the same work environment just build that whole negative element it's really important to get out there and go and find I mean there's lots of counselors lots of Debt counselors, money management, um, you know, sort of advisors. I think there's a money advice service or whatever. Talking to them about your financial situation, and you can then you know, sort of brainstorm ideas as to I want to get out of the situation. I mean, literally, the situation is what it is at that point, but it's about how you can change your mindset and, and the actions you can take to to move on from that. I think a lot of what you've said, you were as you were working your way through everything. We're trying different things. I mean, it, it's literally a matter of oh, doing that. Yeah. And obviously, thankfully, you got your month income. But if you hadn't, you may have just carried on trying and found another sweet spot. 
it's a matter of actually taking those action steps. I think you know you to recognize what you did. You were trying to find that that where it would all work together and fit. But it was a matter of just keep on trying and, and trying to put the puzzles together. It's and that's unfortunately or fortunately our, our our ability is to go and find choices for ourselves. We have the choice. We're in a situation that doesn't work, and the choice is you can think I'm stuck. I can't do anything. Or you can think, what is the smallest possible action that I can do that's going to cost me nothing right now? And that would be go and speak to somebody, go and get a sounding board, see if they can come up with ideas you know, that can potentially then give you the ability to, to change that circumstance. You know, just It would create, you know, every circumstance is unique, but there, there may be things within that circumstance that you could manage. You know, For example, um, if you found that your your employer didn't understand potentially to talk about endometriosis, yet you had a, a health issue and, and may need a lot of days off, you know, it would be going to the next level. Um, you go and explain to, to them, this is what's happening. I need a more flexible working environment. I think you may find one person doesn't understand, but you speak to enough people, you may find one. And I think also the, the work environment is changing now. I think but it's been very masculine and, you know, obviously men are never going to understand issues that women have to deal with. There's just no way they, they are. But as more women become louder about the things we're having to deal with and having to make flexible sort of workspaces and that things are changing and it's about being that voice there. So I think it, it's, you know, I, and I, I don't, I don't like to judge on this way, but just things that I would think, would you be able to do even caught in a situation that it feels totally negative how can you change this just by you know changing your mindset and changing one thing every day how can you if you then start expanding that and getting that creative mind thinking because when you start focusing oh i'm stuck i'm, I'm not working here it, this is not working for me that's where you're going to be stuck and so much about trying to build creativity in those circumstances and that also, I think, boils down to what Marie Folio is saying, that everything is figureoutable. It's, it's figureoutable to the tiniest, you know, atomic little action you can take. You know, James, what is the smallest thing you can do today that, that potentially could start a change? Yeah, no, absolutely. I hope that answered the question. Yeah. I, mean, I know it's quite hard to, um, you know, and, uh, and I totally understand there's so many people caught in really difficult situations. And it's easy to say, sitting from where I am, oh, you know, you can make a plan. And I'm totally, you know, I think the only plan you can make is, is your mindset because you have control of that. And that drives a lot. That So, no, that makes perfect sense. But so would you say to the person in that situation, um, you know, they they really can't take any, okay, so maybe they could put a pound aside for their security blanket once a week, but that's not going to get them out. Like, that's not going to provide safety anytime soon so would you say to that person focus on your exit strategy or your support strategy not necessarily over the security blanket but don't if, if they really can't afford to put any money aside if they're in debt like to just to live kind of focus on kind of sorting their life out work-wise over the security blanket Yes, yeah, so I would say as a starting point of that is a situation where you find yourself, you know, overwhelmed and there's just no way out of this, you know, be it financial workplace or whatever. I would say step one, speak to the money advice service 
um, as your starting point. And, and literally, if it's debt, they will advise you on where to go. And 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 there's um, non charities that will sort of charit sorry charitable institutions that will help you work out how to deal with your debt. So that would be the starting point. It's to try and get out of that overwhelm around your money. That's step one. Once that starts working out and you're able to make more empowering decisions as to maybe leaving your workplace, putting checks and balances that may not be money, but in terms of where you can go, what options are available to you. And again, I think the Money Advice Service will be able to say, these are your options in terms of getting support during this period. I mean, you know, it's kind of unemployment support or something of that extent that you're able to realize you know, it's it's not a totally dire situation if you're not working. That that there's a situation you can't work. There are options there that they can they can give you ideas. I think that would be your first step. Is really there's two ways you can build up your money, and that's reducing your expenses. And where you're in a situation that there is absolutely no ways that you can do that because you're living on the breadline, it's having to change your income. And as you did, you know, it's going to be involved trial and error, but it's that you don't have to do it on your own. Speak to an advisor and get your options. Even at work, I don't know, in, in many of the workplaces, there is an HR and they, they they offer a lot of support services to employees who are having money concerns or whatever other health or financial or a, a sort of mental concern. That right now, they are much more inclined to be able to be, to be supportive in terms of helping people because there is such a, publicity and, and big effort around being more acceptive of, of people's health and mental health and, and other challenges. So I would investigate every option that is non-monetary that you can start working around to, to change your circumstance. So that would be my initial recommendation. And on and sort of to top that off, the, the first one would be to get out, you know, sort out the debt because there's, you know, debt is literally a money energy vampire. It, it sucks <laughs> away your ability to grow money. It really does. And especially um, high interest rate debt. I mean, you've got consumer debt, which is, is credit cards. If you're not paying your credit card off in full every month, they start charging you a ridiculously insane amount of interest. You know, you, you're looking at like 18% and so forth on, on your balance. That That is insane you, you could never invest and earn that amount of money yeah so by actually getting rid of your debt and paying it down you're saving yourself a ton of money it's probably your best investment on day one is to to, to work out how to get rid of your debt before you you know consider even other options it's what can i do to to start doing that and sort of clearing that off that gives you a lot more flexibility and even before creating an emergency fund so step one would be Speak to somebody, see what your options are in terms of how you can exit or, you know, find something alternative. Step two would be if you had debt, speak to them in terms of how you can manage out of your debt. And step three would be then only starting to focus on how you can create an emergency fund and so forth. But it's literally money is start from where you are and take the smallest possible step to move forward. You know, and if that's something that's non-monetary, it's fine. It's just taking that action step and it creates that whole mindset shift. When you start taking empowering actions, literally everything shifts in your life. Yeah, no, that's so true. And I and I, I kind of want to be clear because I think, oh gosh, I, I would hope that my audience 
um, kind of view me as someone who does have like an expansive like mindset. I feel I'm quite solution focused um, and kind of look for different possibilities. But I kind of just trying to give I know what people can go through. Um, not just because I've gone through like difficult, you know, times with working, you know, at places and being like, oh my God, I really need to get out of here, but I don't have the money and I took this pay cut and blah, blah. Um, but also just because I worked in charity where I worked with homeless young people and I just saw the, you know, the most difficult situations. So I kind of want to explore even the most difficult situations, you know, so that we're, yeah. I don't want people listening and being like, but what about me? Um, so hopefully that's kind of covering, covering some of that. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to the link in my show notes. This episode is also sponsored by my free guide, Managing Endometriosis Naturally. If you don't know where to start with beginning to take a holistic approach to managing your endometriosis symptoms, then this might help you. Um, if you'd like to download it, just head to the show notes and follow the link and you can get your free copy. And like practically, I mean, we could talk about some of the things that I if, that I've done, if that make, if that's helpful, but practically how does someone start managing their money um so obviously it's about having this growth mindset you know speaking to people looking for solutions um if you are in a really difficult situation in the workplace then taking small actions to make change even if that's not financially at first um but with the money that people do have are there any kind of practices once you've kind of prioritized the money how how do people just because a lot of people will just get the money in the bank on payday and they're like woo, payday you know and and all of their like yeah their priorities go out the window so are there kind of any like practice like practices or methods that you would recommend in order to begin being the one in control of your money rather than money controlling you yes and i think you know i like david beck's book I don't know with that smart woman and it's literally what everyone even you need a budget it's as soon as your money comes into your bank account it's creating that conscious allocation to where you want it to go so even if it's you know to the, the expenses and necessities you know about it's creating separate accounts that you, you you can sort of automatically allocate to so you know exactly in any given month how much of your money is going to go to each item Yes, so absolutely. you know you create, which I think it gives you so much empowerment because you are now directing your money to where you want it to go. You know, it's and it's and at the end of the day, when you eventually come out at that point in time where you have access to to have a choice around, it's because of your direction. You, it's all about creating. And I think 
historically they've called it the envelope method because what they used to do was sit down. I know my grandfather used to do this literally and take what money was for groceries and you stick it in one envelope, what money was for rent and goes in another envelope, what money is for this in another envelope. And you can do that in, you know, your bank accounts. Now, if you have like a, a Starling bank account or, yeah. um, Love you know, that's kind of, yeah. So you just basically allocate it. You create your little pockets where it's going to be allocated an automatic allocation. And there goes your money. You, you've managed it on a monthly basis. You know, manage what you have. And as it grows, you start managing to other pockets. I mean, I think I was just writing a blog the other day and I was saying, um, you know, it's about creating the necessity pocket, um, you know, your goals pocket, your saving to invest pocket, your saving for um, your pension pocket and start putting into there. And as soon as these things start building to a level that you can actually go, for example, your, your pension and your investment, put it into investment, you can do that. But to be honest, today, and we'll talk about it later, but you can invest from one pound, you know, sort of a month mm. is your starting point. So you, you don't necessarily have to create a savings account to do it, but you can create that allocation every month as well into your, your saving and your investment. So it's consciously creating that envelope system that you consciously direct your money to where you want it to go. And sometimes those necessities are not necessarily, you know, in inverted commas, where you want it to go because they're things you have to to pay for. But you know that you have made that allocation mindfully knowing that this is giving you some benefit. You know, for example, I have to pay counter tax. The benefit is I get to live in this location. Mm -hmm. I get to have these benefits. It's all about you being conscious and you knowing that you're in control. I mean, I think the, the, the reason why... You know, I'm not talking about people who are sort of on the, the total gray line, but people who have that little bit of excess don't ever have that excess is because they're not mindfully managing their money. It's, as you say, as soon as it comes into the account, it gets spent till there's nothing left. Whereas if it came in and got allocated as to how you planned it to be, it's taken that um, sort of money, the control of the money and put it into your hands because you've allocated on day one into the little pockets where you want it. Yeah. So to me, that that's the, the biggest, you know, the best way to achieve sort of financial empowerment is to be the director of, of your money, the, the, the driving seat of where your money's going, so to speak. Yeah, and, and to give like a, a real life um, example of that, you know that I use Stalin and I this is not an ad for Starling Bank, although it would be really <laughs> nice if they do want to sponsor me. Um, but I use Starling um, as my spending card. Um, I don't use it as my kind of bills card because some reviews have said that it sometimes don't work. Um, and because they're a new bank, I think they're kind of ironing those kind of things out. My bills come out of my main my main HSB account, the one that I've always had. And I know how much that is and how, how much needs to come out and needs to stay in that, in that bank. And then I transfer the rest into my spending card, but I don't transfer it in one lump. I transfer it in, you know, so I will like transfer the amount that I have for travel and that goes into my spending account. And then I've got these pockets. I've got travel one, travel two, travel three, travel four for each week. And then I separate that income, that, you know, that amount of money by the week. I divide it by the week. Um, and that's the same for food shopping. Like I have a lump sum of money for food shopping and that gets divided week by week. 
Um, same with weekend budget. So whatever food that I'm going to eat at the weekend and anything that I'm going to do at the weekend. Um, and my tax as well. I actually have my tax in my spending thing because simply because um, HSBC, I think that the traditional banks are behind on this. Like they don't, they don't have like these pockets where you can put different money. They they can track it and say, oh, you're spending, you're spending this amount on going out and this amount on restaurants, but they you can't really allocate it. Um, so that's why I like Stalin and I think some other banks do things like that. Um, but it means that if I want to buy something that hasn't been allocated for, I have to, I have to consciously think which pocket am I going to take it from? Which pocket can I take this from? And am I happy to sacrifice? You know, so it, it means that you're, it's not like you're just suddenly putting your card down on the you know, on the counter to pay for something, you actually have to move money over into the main, I don't know, the main current account in order for it to be used. And that creates this pause um, where you just have to think for a second. And it's so good. I mean, the irony is I do exactly the same. It's often in that pause that you, you really think, well, do I really want it? Mm, yeah. You know, it's because obviously a whole of my history with money had been that I was a hugely emotional spender and I'd go without really thinking and do stuff. And now because I've also exactly, as you create those envelopes, you're creating that checks and balance. So before I can take out of some other allocation, I've really got to think, but do I want this? And it's so funny how oftentimes I especially like the last couple of months it's I don't you know it's when I've had to think about it it's like wait a second no I really don't because the other things have been allocated to really where I want them to go and so it takes your it gives you that moment to break from the emotion and apply your logical mind to things and I think that it's it's just those checks and balances that you know give you that, that control because now you're not controlled by your, your sort of money scripts or those impulses. You you have the ability to to take action and to stop it because you've given yourself that ability by allocating your money. So I, I've totally scrubbed it and, it and it works for me as well. And I speak from my own sort of over shopping experience. It's a brilliant allocation system. And you know what I think is so nice also when you see those things you've allocated for growing or, or yeah. where you start achieving so something true. it starts yeah you start feeling like oh this is making a difference you know whereas previously I, half the time I didn't even know where the money went when, when I was totally yeah. out of I could not say where it went yeah and that's I think also what leads to people avoiding looking at their bank account Yes. Whereas if you have something like Starlin, because you have to transfer money over so often in order to use the money, because once it's like for people who don't have like that kind of account, once it's allocated, you can't you can't just spend it. You have to transfer it into like the current account. So it means that you're always in your account. And because it's on your phone as well, it's just it's easy. I mean, I look at my account multiple times a day because I will go and you know, go and pick up something from the shops and I'm like, right, I need to transfer that out from the food shop. So it's, you're in it all the time and your bank account no longer becomes this scary place that you only look to check 
if you're in your overdraft or not <laughs> you know yeah well you're kind of that's exactly it you'll find it afterwards it's kind of like the, the horse is bolted mm-hmm. um here you go this is what you've done and that it all comes down to that whole guilt thing oh my god look what i did you know and you've, it's, it's like you've given away that power it's i feel like when you can go and you consciously do it and manage it you've, you've totally taken back your power you're now the master of the money whereas I think in my old days I used to look I think money mastered me very well and with the same money is a, a good slave but a bad master and it certainly was yeah and yeah I've definitely I've definitely been there as well myself um so we we've talked about this in terms of your um the, the security blanket but if someone was on a limited income so I guess let's look at my scenario. I came to you because I was like, I'm, I can budget now. I'm really good with my budget, but I want to start saving for my future. Um, put it in context, I want, you know, I want to save for traveling. I want to save for one day investing in property. And I wanted to um, kind of have a I don't like calling it a pension because I don't see, I'm not the type of person who's going to retire. Like I'm not, not in your typical retirement, but I want to have some money for the future. So someone on a limited income, how can they begin saving for the future and kind of what should they start with? Because I think that's, that was my problem. I was like, there's all of these different saving options. Like where do I start? Yeah. Well, I think the starting point is you've created your, your, your conscious spending plan, which we've talked about in, in the huge envelope. You've set up your emergency fund or you're working towards it. And now we're coming to, I want to now you know, build some kind of plan for the future. And I think that's the first step is what is your goal? Once you've decided your goal, it determines your timeline. So, for example, you're saying, look, you don't think you're going to be a person who retires. So a pension, you know, is going to lock up your money till you're, potentially 55 so what's the other way you can you you can grow it and there's two immediate ways there's saving or investing and and they're totally different things so just just looking at saving saving literally is what people consider the the most risk-free or least risky thing because you literally have money in a bank but it's in fact one of the highest risk things because you're earning an interest rate that doesn't keep track of inflation especially right now so you're probably earning, you know, you can be earning anything from, let's say, 0.8% to, if you're lucky, maybe just over a percent or if you've, you've got a special deal a little bit more. But inflation's running at 2%. And inflation really is an increase in the cost of goods and services, the things that you're going to buy. And so in a year's time, if your money hasn't kept track of inflation, that money that you've put in your savings account is actually going to buy less. So typically, you would look to your savings account for goals that you want to achieve in less than five years. And if you're going to have certain of that money in that savings account for up to five years, you can look for uh, ways to increase that, that interest and that would be potentially locking your money up for a bit. So if you were to say a certain portion of my money, I'm not going to use till five years time. I'm going to put that what I've saved so far into a fixed deposit for six months, you would earn a higher rate of interest. The only thing is, you wouldn't be able to draw out your money for six months. So that that would be how you save for for those what we call short term goals, less than five five years. If you were looking at goals longer than five years, and, and these were the ones, for example, that you were looking at, 
after buying a house or or trying to create a, a lump sum for um, what we, a retirement, but it, it's sort of a retirement on your terms, sort of yeah. working retirement or however you want it to look. Yeah. You I, would then, yeah. So, I mean, that's what a lot of people are doing. There's the whole fire movement. So, you know, that the financial independence retire early. And, and so what they do is they live very frugally to build up a large lump sum to then retire from the mainstream, like sort of the nine to five, but do something different once they're retired. Yeah, and yeah. You see. And I think a lot of people are trying to do that. So that would be your your longer term investing. That would be over your five years and on a longer time horizon. And that you can go and invest. And investing is where you take your money and you put it into the stock market and put it some risk on it. And the benefit of that risk is because you're taking risk, you get higher return. The other beauty of that risk, you can manage the risk by doing certain things around your investments, which are considered kind of the right things. And I'll talk you through that now. But basically, when you're going to put your money into the stock market, there are two broad ways of doing it. You can invest in shares, which is basically an ownership in a company. So you become a little part owner. And you are then exposed to how well the company does. The second thing is you can invest in bonds, which is like you've made a loan to the company. And the difference is because you are not an owner, you don't share in how that company does, but you get a fixed return. You get a, an interest rate on your bond, and that, that is it. There's no upside besides the interest rate. So bonds are seen to be the less risky of the two. So when you create a portfolio, depending on what your risk appetite is, you're going to create with a certain amount of equities and a certain amount of bonds to take off some of that risk. And the equities now, are shares. The equities are the shares, your ownership yeah. in the company. Now, the right way of doing an investment is diversification. So that means not putting all your eggs in one basket, like, for example, buying one equity or even buying two. It's creating as many assets in your basket as possible. And for the normal individual like you and me, we're never going to have enough money to create a very diversified basket or, you know, we're likely to have that much money. Or if we did have that much money and we do at some point, we're unlikely to be able to make good selections. We may be able to make one or two, but we don't have the same level of knowledge as, say, a trader or something does. And even the top traders, um, for example, Warren Buffett, who seemed to be sort of the best investor of all time, said um, the best way to invest is by buying index funds. And so an index fund, if you look at an index, an index is just a basket of, of assets that reference, you, know, you may say, I want to be in the top 100 um, companies in the UK. And so a basket's been created that's called the FTSE 100, which is the top 100 companies. And so if you wanted to be in that, you would buy an index tracker which references the FTSE 100. And all it's saying is, of those 100 companies, that little tracker has gone and bought a tiny little portion. And when you buy into that tracker, you've got a little, another tiny portion of each of those shares, of each of those companies. And so you diversified across the top 100 companies to a tiny little amount, which is your investment. And the beauty of a tracker fund is it doesn't have any human intervention to select the assets. And so it's called a passive fund. So on an active fund, which is the opposite, you'd have a human asset manager or portfolio manager who would apply his, what they say, extreme knowledge of the market and create a portfolio that should do better 
then your passive fund because he's he's chosen assets. But historically, over you know many many years, it's been tested, and the passive funds actually always outperform the active funds. And the reason being is because the passive funds are managed by computers or, or sort of just generated by computers. There isn't a high cost of those funds, so they're not going to charge you a lot of money to buy at a lot of management fee. Whereas an active fund manager, he wants to obviously have a big income, and so they're going to have to charge you a high fee. So even if he does equally as well as the passive fund, because so many fees come out of it, the return is going to be much lower. So he'd have to do way better than the passive fund to make up for his fee and give you a good right. return. Okay. And also, he'd have to always select the right fund. And I don't know if you keep up with the financial press, but there is a um, fund manager, Neil Woodford, who was sort of one of the star fund managers. And um, he's lost people a, a lot of money through. Oh, God. Not, so that's the thing. You know, you're taking a, you're kind of taking a risk on, on one person. And, and I think everyone's human. We all make mistakes at some point. Um, his mistake was maybe less of a mistake, but he, he did not do the right thing. And so people have lost money. So that's why passive funds make sense. So you want to invest in the market. Your second thing is you want to take account of free money. And free money is tax benefits. And in the UK, the way to get that is by um, starting a stocks and shares ISA. And the tax benefit of a stocks and share ISA is so if you think of a stocks and share asset, it's just going to be a little shopping basket that um, the, the tax man has decided I'm not taxing. So it, whatever you put in your little shopping basket is not going to be subject to any tax. Anything that happens in there, growth-wise, totally tax-free. The money that goes into your asset is theoretically money you've, you've earned, so you've paid tax on. So money going into your asset is after-tax money, but whatever asset you buy will then grow tax-free. And so that's the beauty of, of your ISA is the asset you put in, and let's say you put in equities, you're going to earn, firstly, if those companies do well, an increase in the share price. So that's growth in your investment. And secondly, if the companies do well, they'll reward the, the owners, their shareholders, by giving them dividends. So you'll earn that as well. And that gets put into your little shopping basket as well. If you're sort of at retired age, what normal retirees do, they take some of that income out to live on. But what you would do when you're young and you're building up wealth is you leave it in your, your index, you reinvest. And so what they do is they go and buy more of the, the index. And so not only does your investment grow by you putting more money in, but it grows by them reinvesting those assets. So what happens is we call compounding. You start earning income on what you earn growth, on what you first put in. And then what that earns, you start earning income and growth on the additional amount without you doing anything. And that's why they say investing is your money working 24 hours a day because it starts just growing on itself. And it becomes a snowball effect. You put a little bit in, you get some income on it, they go and buy more of that asset and it just keeps on snowballing and that's how it grows. So the, the best way to grow your money is investing or the quickest way. So, can I just quickly mm -hmm. recap for anyone, yeah. if anyone is like totally new to this, um, like I was when we spoke, and even I'm trying to like remember it all right now. Um, so, the stocks and shares, ISA, your basket, can you put the, is that where you would do your investing on the index fund? 
correct. And you okay. stick it into the, because it will kind of protect it because you'll invest in your index fund in your stocks and shares ISA. That means that growth that you're going to have in your index fund and the income that the index fund can earn is going to be tax-free. Okay. So to kind of put this in, I don't know, um, an example. So I have a Hargreaves and Lansdowne um, stocks and shares ISA and in that I would find an index fund that I want to invest in and then I would start investing and that would all ha- that would all happen in the kind of home of my stocks and shares ISA. And it's a little, little like box of safety. So it's, yeah. it's kind of protected from attack. So it all happens in there. You'll set up your stocks and shares ISA day, as on day one and then you put investments in there. And we can talk about a, an easier way of doing it, but ideally that's how it will work. You create your stocks and share ISA and investments will go in. So the where the hedge funds, where do they happen? Do they happen in the stocks and shares ISA as well? No, no. Uh, the hedge funds are a different asset class that individuals don't typically invest in. So a hedge fund... Oh, am of, I saying the wrong thing? The funds that you were... Oh, the index funds. Yeah, index. the index funds. So, okay, it's the same yeah. thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so index funds are, are different. They are the funds that reference a particular, you know, class of shares. So, for example, could be the top 100 companies, or even the top, um, like in the US, they have the S and P 500, which is 500 companies um, that can be referenced. So it's just an index of all those companies, and the index literally owns a little portion of every one of those companies. And when you invest in the index, you'll you'll start to own a little portion of every share as well okay but so i'm just forgetting a term that you've used that's no, why i'm getting right. confused so there was so that but the index fund is equity right the index that's fund can shares. be equity or bonds so it can oh be okay that's what bonds. that's the yeah. word i was looking yeah. for bonds okay so the bonds. bonds and the shares can both happen within your stocks and shares isa correct so ideally let's say you turn out to be you decide or you you work out that you're a moderate risk investor so you you don't want to take too high of a risk, and you don't you, you still want your, your assets to grow. So you'll put say seventy percent of your income allocation into buying mm-hmm. the equity index fund, and you'll put thirty percent into getting the bond, and that will create a portfolio. Great. Okay, that's super so, clear. Yeah. So that's where you want to go and create your own portfolio. But if you're really new to investing, there there is an easy way to do it. And the reason why you didn't do it this way is you were looking for an ethical fund. Mm. And the robo advisors very much so. <laughs> robo advisors don't typically offer the give you a choice as to you know your ethical funds. They they basically just build one portfolio. So let's just say you're new to investing. The easiest way to invest, if you're going to just do mainstream investing, is to go to one of the robo advisors. You know, your Wealthify, your Nutmeg, your Wealthsimple, um, you know, all of those, those kind of advisors. And you choose one platform. Let's say, for example, we'll talk about Nutmeg. So you choose the Nutmeg platform. You go onto Nutmeg. It gives you a lot of options. You say, I want to create a stocks and shares ISA. You, you choose that. Then Nutmeg will ask you a whole bunch of questions to determine your risk your risk um, profile. So they'll ask you know if you lost money or how would you feel all these kind of questions and they'll determine okay moderate risk investor. And so what Nutmeg has done is they've created their own portfolios and in those portfolios they've gone and bought a number of index funds that are equity and a number of index funds that are bonds. And when you identify your risk profile, they'll go and choose a portfolio. 
that has 70% equity and say 30% bond or 60% equity and 40% bond, depending on how they allocate in terms of the risk profile. And they will say, that's the portfolio we're going to stick in your stocks and shares asset. And that's it. You're done. You don't have to choose anything further. You just have to choose how much you want to invest. And unfortunately, on Nutmeg, it's quite an initial, the initial investment's quite high. I think it used to be about 500 pounds. Oh, yeah, that is But if high. you go to, a, it is exceptionally high. I and mean, you can do 25 pounds per month afterwards. But for example, while simple, your initial investment, you can make one pound. And you can set up a monthly one pound. You can start from as little as one pound a month. Yeah. And that's a great way to get started because you're not putting a ton of money at risk. So it's a good way to start understanding what you're doing and getting more comfortable with it as you build up your money. Yeah, for sure. And I think that was a real big block for me because I thought that I had to have, I thought, I thought rich people invested. (laughs) I didn't, you know, and so I just thought it was completely out of my league and um, I think I'd looked at Nutmeg as well and maybe another one. And I think one was 500 and one was a thousand. And I was like, that's just not doable for me now. But as you know, you know, I opened the Hargreaves and Lansdowne one with you and I opened it with 20 pounds and, oh no, I opened it with a hundred, didn't I? Yeah. You was put initial a hundred and then the, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then 20 pounds after that. So, um, And it comes out like a direct debit and it's now just a normal part of my outgoings. Um, But I'm investing every month and it's a small amount and and I will build on that as my income builds. Um, But it is so empowering to know that as someone who has had to go on a small income in order to manage their health, that I can still invest um, and that I can still um manage my money and pay my rent and pay for food you know so it's it's just so empowering to be able to to say yeah I'm I'm investing it's not a lot but I'm investing and I'm I'm taking responsibility for my future yeah and I mean it's, it's you putting the money to work because it's working for your 24 hours mm. now, as I was saying earlier because it's just carrying on doing what it needs to do every day literally every hour it's you know that it sits in there it's making money and, you know, you look at it and you think, oh, it's not growing, it's so small, but it, it just keeps on growing over time. I mean, the thing is about an, an ISA, the, the, the beauty of an ISA is you can draw it out if, if there's necessity, but you don't want to do that if it's in the market because, you know, the market has ups and downs and you don't want to ever be in a situation that you have to draw your money out when the market's down because that means to give you your money back, um, they will sell, you know, your ISA at that point in time, which may be a market low and then you'll make less money. That's why you want to leave it in for a long time because the market, even though it does go up and down, if you were to look at a graph over time, it's ups and downs on an upward trajectory. So it's always moving upwards, mm-hmm. but over a long period of time. So the ISA you're able to take out unless you were in a lifetime ISA or LISA because you can only take that out to buy your first house or when you're 55. So you can't take out of a LISA. And the same applies to a pension. If you put money into a pension, the pension, the beauty of a pension allocation is that you get your tax back up front. So in other words, if you were to put in £80, the taxman would give you an additional 20 to just make up for that tax, so you'd be up to 100 Um, So that, that's why pension is quite nice, because you have extra money to grow on. But when you come to draw out your pension at 55 you can only draw out 25% tax-free, and then the rest will be taxed again. But by that time, 
you know, you hopefully um, at a sort of lower tax rate or lower income, and it, 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 you know, falls under the bans or whatever. So that's why people sort of take a decision as to whether they're going to put into a pension or an ISA or both. You know, it's, it's how you want to allocate your money. If you want to lock up money that you're going to have after 55, go with a pension. If you are uncertain at this stage and you may need your money, you know, it's sort of after five years, go with the ISA for the meantime. Ideally, over time, you want to build up both investment pools, but you go with the one that works for you now. For example, I think you know that the help to buy ISA, which is going at the end of next month, but gives you the ability to buy a house. Except it's it's not a stocks and shares ISA; it's a cash ISA. So you don't have that benefit of growing in the stock market. But the point is, it was meant to be for a shorter period of time, so it wouldn't have got to the five-year investment. I feel like there. <laughs> I, I feel like there's so many more questions that I could ask you on the back of this part of the conversation. Um, you know, for people who aren't sure, like, what's a cash ISA and kind of the difference between, a, like, how a pension would work. But um, I'm assuming most of my listeners have workplace pensions. Obviously, I'm different and we had to set that up for me because I'm self-employed. Um, but... I will hold on to those questions because I think that's kind of we've got a we've got a good overview. Um, but for because I know that you need to go for anyone who's like listening, who kind of wants to get started on this road. Um, what would be your like main takeaways for them? And and could you kind of give us like a a neat recap of kind of the difference, the different kind of concepts and options that we've provided yeah sure so on the on the investing side there there's two things to consider firstly the timeline so if it's shorter than five years you're not going to invest you're going to do a savings option if it's longer than five years you're going to divide into two buckets your sort of medium one which is potentially your isa and the reason why you wanted an isa is because you can draw it out but the money that goes in is after tax any growth inside of that is tax-free your pension that would be your longer-term investment and the money that goes into there is before tax you you get the tax um the benefit of having the tax back to invest but at the back end of that after 55 when you you take it out you are going to pay tax over above that 25 percent tax-free so ideally if you do have a workplace pension take every advantage of it your employer is obligated to put in three percent and you know, ideally try and match that in terms of your income because that's, that's getting free money. That's number one. Number two is creating your ISA, which go with the stocks and shares and you can build, build your, your investments. Easiest route is to go with one of the robo-advisors, go and create a stocks and shares ISA on their platform and get a ready-made portfolio and literally start from as small as one pound a day, if you, uh, one pound a month if you have to. But as you said, it's all about just getting started and getting your money working for you. Yeah, absolutely. That's so helpful. Um, and are there any resources and tools that you recommend for people who are just starting out on this journey? Yes. There is, I mean, there's so much information out on the internet. It's hard to find. You know, It can be dodgy information, well, but it's really good resources. As a beginner investor, I would read books on personal finance. And, and some that I really enjoyed is... He's a U.S. author, but very funny. His name is Ramit Sethi, and his book's called I Will Teach You To Be Rich. 
it's great. You know, then you need a budget. I think that's also great. And then a UK journalist, a financial journalist, has written Money, a User Guide. It's, it's a very cool little orange book that looks like a credit card. And then I would recommend listening to podcasts. And my favorite for beginners are Damien Fahi. He's got Money to the Masses, and he's focused on the UK. Mm-hmm. But then in the, U, the US, there is a lady, and she's just lovely. And her podcast is called Clever Girl Finance. Okay. She's trying. She's US, but she's trying to make it a bit more UK centric. But brilliant. She really addresses every aspect of money. She's she's great. That's and then clever, just for motivation, clever girl money, clever gold finance. Okay, clever girl finance. Yeah, it's brilliant. And then for just ongoing motivation, there's a podcast by two two guys. The one of which has got financial independence. I think he's in his thirties, and it's called FI Financial Independence. All about really how and you know scarce resources building up. That, that bucket or lump sum of money that eventually gives you your freedom. And by freedom, it's your own personal view of what your freedom is. And then because, you know, we're saying being stuck in the thick of, of things, when you're stuck in that forest and get trying to get to the other side, it's important to be around like-minded people who are also on this financial journey. So it's quite nice to attend meetups where there's other people, uh, you know, sort of on, in the financial groups, we're also doing this because it becomes hard and it's quite nice to to be motivated by chatting to other people. So th- those are really what I re- would recommend. And it's literally you know, kind of immersing yourself in, in personal finance, but it's the best way to take away that money taboo, sort of unwind and understand the jargon and just get clear on, on how things work. Yeah, no, I, I so agree. And for me, reading you need a budget and listening to his podcast um jesse i think his name is jesse meacham um listening to you need a budget was really one of the first steps that i took to getting in control of my money because it was such a simple um simple process that he had to manage your money um and for anyone who gets confused if you're in the uk and you try to use his like program his software I couldn't use his software because it was all in dollars so I just kind of copied his approach um and did it in my own way um and yeah I listened to those podcasts and they're really helpful as well so um that's brilliant Michelle thank you so much um is there anything that I've kind of missed that you want to kind of impart before we leave no, it's been great. I mean, if anybody wants to um, get I've got create a roadmap to financial intelligence, which is just kind of a little overview of, of things to think about when you're starting your financial journey, that's on my website, which you can download for free. It's for wealthiq.com. And just as you were talking about the, the you need a budget, there is software, Money Dashboard in the UK, which oh. kind of does the same. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's more about checking where your money's going as opposed to actually directing it. Um, I've got it, but I haven't used it 100%. But it's, it's about seeing where your money goes. And I think you can actually create allocations to do it. And it, it feeds from all your bank accounts and that. Okay, that sounds brilliant. I um, I hadn't I hadn't heard of that. So that's great. Yeah, so it's free. Money dashboard. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. Well, yeah, Michelle, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I know, listeners, this is a bit different, but... I just feel like it's such an important one to talk about. Um, Endo affects our lives in so many ways. And I know so many of you struggle with work. So I hope that this is kind of 
given you something to think about and hopefully it hasn't been overwhelming and it's kind of provided you with some tools and resources to get started um yeah thank you so much for coming on michelle and i hope to speak to you soon thanks so much jessica it's been lovely it was lovely chatting to you thank you take care bye bye so that's it thank you so much for listening if you want to find out more about what i do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I Um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis as always if you like this show please rate review and or subscribe really truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis this episode was produced by the pod farm whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started Visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world.